In my teenage years, in my youth group days, we would play this game called Bigger Better. And the way this game worked was you started with something small. We started with a penny. And you go around door to door in the neighborhood asking people if they'll trade you for something bigger or better than what you have. And so we traded our penny for a nickel, our nickel for a dime, our dime for a quarter, our quarter for a loony. And at some point along the way, we actually traded for a kiln. Now, the people told us that the kiln was broken, but also that many cats had died in this kiln. But we thought we had won the day when we were walking around downtown Peterborough with our kitty killin' kiln, thinking, this was it. We've arrived. We have a kiln. But then somebody traded us that kiln for a TV. And so we came back to our church youth group with a, with a new-to-us TV, and we thought, yes, yes, this is a great success. Now, I feel like this is kind of a, a parody of what life is like. Life is, is a journey of upward mobility, climbing the ladder of success, bigger or better, with jobs and houses, until we get to a place where we you know, feel like, yeah, we've won the day. But at some point along the, day, along the way, we probably wrestle with, you know, how much is enough? And maybe you wrestle with, you know, minimalism or, or, or downsizing or purging, getting rid of things that no longer offer you joy, uh, and, and we went through that journey. Emily and I, you know, we, we watched the minimalism documentary and we were like, wow, maybe this is for us. Maybe this would help us condense some of our stuff. But then we noticed like these people don't have kids and kids have a lot of stuff. And and also my wife, you know, is a self-proclaimed crazy plant lady. And and really, she's like, I don't know if I want to be a minimalist because I'm, I'm kind of a bohemian maximalist. And so we kind of came to a point where we said, you know what? We have all the stuff. And that's who we are. And churches are like this, too. Churches, you know, pick up stuff along the way. We add, we build, we create. And this develops into our identity, our culture, all the sort of stuff that comes along. And one day we find ourselves in, in a transition, in a season of change, stepping out from the known and into the unknown. And we have to figure out what it is we're going to bring with us. Which begs the question, what do we bring on this journey as Elevation? What is most important to us? If you've ever tried to travel with kids, uh, I went for a night, uh, just one night over at my parents' house. And, and I thought, I'll just, we'll just travel really lightly. But then, of course, the kids, they have to have their pillow. And uh, because, you know, their pillowcase is special to them. But then, but then, of course, they have to have their special blanket because some blankets are more special than other blankets. But then what if they get cold? So they might need a second blanket. And then, of course, they have to have their stuffy. And if, if one stuffy is bigger than another stuffy, then maybe that child feels like, well, my stuffy's small. Maybe I need to bring two stuffies. But then, of course, math, then if that person's bringing two, then I also need to bring two. And then they have their special waters, their nighttime waters. And then I show up to my parents' house for one night, and it looks like I'm moving in. Part of this journey of, the, of entering into the wilderness means we, we have to travel lightly. And I think that is both gift and grief for us. We have to let go of stuff, stuff that we've picked up along the way, the way we've always done this or that. But also we get to let go of stuff, stuff that's no longer super helpful or relevant, or stuff that's become a burden or an encumbrance, and we're carrying it just because, well, we always have. If you're just joining us, we're in the story of, of the middle part of Exodus in a series called Locating Ourselves in a Season of Change. 
looking at the story of the people of Israel who are no longer in Egypt. They've crossed over the Red Sea and they've stepped into the wilderness together. And there's grief here and we might be prone to grumbling, but God shows up and holds us in our time of grief and promises to be with us and leads us onward, providing for our every need. So we're going to dive into Exodus 16 this morning, uh, the first few verses. So it reads this. The entire Israelite community departed from Elam and came to the wilderness of Sinai, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted. Instead, you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger. Now, if you're reading this, you might be thinking, wait, what? They had like meat in Egypt, like lots of meat, like pots of meat and endless breadsticks. It sounds like they had it pretty good in Egypt, living in the lap of luxury, lavish charcuterie boards, meat lovers, pizza, pots of meat and cheese, fondue. But did they really? Was that really their experience? Exodus 5 tells us that uh, when Moses and Aaron first show up to treat with, uh, to meet with Pharaoh, asking for the deliverance of their people from slavery, Pharaoh doubles down on their conditions, adding significantly to their workload. There are people of slaves. They're making bricks for Pharaoh's expansion. And he tells them, I'm no longer going to provide the raw materials for you to make these bricks. You have to go collect them yourselves. But your brick quota stays the same. So you have to do more work with less. What's really happening here? This idea that they've made it seem like Egypt was so good, that they had it all, but really that doesn't line up with what actually happened. Did they really have it that good or was something else happening here? It feels to me and looks to me like a little bit of cognitive dissonance has set in. Somehow the people of Israel begin to convince themselves that they had it so good back then. And that the best thing to do would be to go back to Egypt. Today I want us to explore this longing for Egypt that we might feel. It isn't long into the wilderness that we start to, to change our tune because the wilderness is uncomfortable. And we long for what we used to call normal, even if it isn't perfect or wasn't always great. And so I want us to sit with this metaphor of longing for Egypt today. A bit about metaphors. I read this this week um, in a book that I was just kind of flipping pages through and, and stumbled upon this. It says, the usefulness of a metaphor for rereading our own context is that it is not claimed as a one-on-one -on -one match to reality, as though the metaphor of exile actually described our situation. Rather, a metaphor proceeds by having only an odd, playful, and ill-fitting match to its reality, the purpose of which is to illuminate and evoke dimensions of reality that will otherwise go unnoticed and therefore unexperienced. My hope is that today, as we consider this story and this metaphor, we would recognize it's not a perfect match to our reality. But it, instead, it offers us a glimpse into an aspect of our reality that we might not have noticed without this metaphor. So what is that? What are we, what are we supposed to look at and pay attention to? I would offer that something happened to us. For Israel, it was the leaving of the normal of Egypt even if it was a normal of long working days and slave labor and a longing for liberation, 
For us, it was the resignation of our founding pastor. In both cases, we found ourselves in a foreign land, somewhere between the old and the new. For some of us, we were already in the wilderness before he resigned. And for others, we only entered in afterwards, after the news hit, after we heard and began to process it. And for still others, uh, there's some of us who are just now joining this faith community of elevation, or others who are just now stepping into this liminal space together. Here's what we know. Part of this wilderness experience is a letting go of an old way that has long captured our attention and held our imagination. And part of the wilderness experience is an invitation to the possibilities that surface with the dawning of a new chapter. This isn't meant to be negative or punitive. Again, metaphors are meant to be playful and evocative. This isn't to say that the old was bad. There was so much good about the embassy days and the founding of Elevation and the joy of discovery of the journey together. It is to say, though, that the wilderness offers us an important choice. Turn back to Egypt, which is to kind of sit in a bit of denial, or bring Egypt with us and try to recreate it on the other side, or leave Egypt behind. Moses knew, uh, you might say, that it is always easier to take the people out of Egypt, or any old system, than it is to take the old Egypt system out of people. Only a long time in the psychological wilderness state of the neutral zone can do that. That's William Bridges. That might be why this journey took so long. This 10-day or two-week journey took them 40 years. When the physical distance, it should have been a lot quicker. And several contemplative authors refer to this idea as the purgative movement or the purgative way. Purgative is a fancy way of saying purging or downsizing or condensing or letting go. We had these neighbors in downtown Windsor who uh, we lived in a the middle unit of, of three attached houses. And the one on our left was always rented. And so we had these new renters, uh, neighbors show up uh, and they on the one day, maybe it was a Tuesday, uh, they moved everything in. And by the Wednesday, there was an argument with the landlord. Something happened and all of the contents of their stuff was just thrown on the front lawn. They were evicted one day after they moved in. I remember kind of just feeling this sense of grief and lament and, and sadness for them. Uh, in the midst of a housing crisis, in the midst of, of a challenging time for them, they were tossed into the unknown. And their stuff was just discarded on the lawn for anyone to take. That isn't really, that's, that's not really what's in, in, in view here for the purgative way. That's not what we're talking about. This isn't an eviction from the old way. It's an invitation to let go. It's an invitation to take stock of what it is that is truly important and then let go of the rest. And this might take time. It's not going to happen immediately. For the people of Israel, we see that God was playing the long game. His hope for them was that they would eventually locate themselves in the land of promise but that part of what had to be done first was an identity transformation. So they didn't just recreate Egypt there. So that meant they were being transformed from a people who were known by what they could produce to a people known by their proximity to God. And this identity overhaul required time spent in the wilderness. For us, the, the culture, the practices, the identity of elevation that has got us to this point some of it might be worth bringing forward with us, but maybe not all of it. 
And as we step into the wilderness together, we have to travel lightly. Again, that is both gift and grief. We have to let go of stuff. We can't bring it all with us. But we also get to let go of stuff. There's freedom and opportunity to dream new dreams, to do new things together, to step into this next chapter of this journey together with open hands to receive what God is gifting us. This comes with a question for us to consider. What kind of church do we want to be? And that question uh, poses another question. What kind of church is God calling us to be? And the question that surfaces out of this is what do we need to let go of in order to make space for the new that God is wanting to do in our collective life? It's unlikely we're able truly to answer these questions right now, today. But maybe we can, maybe there are questions we can sit with and wrestle with. We can take stock of the truly important ideas and values and practices that we love and carry them with us into this next chapter. Ruth Haley Barton says, Some of us will wear ourselves out trying to change ourselves before we realize that it is not about fixing. It is about letting go. Letting go of old patterns that no longer serve us. I want to close today with uh, a prayer that uses our hands. It's a sort of bodily expressed prayer. And this is important because uh, worship and prayer, these are not just sort of disembodied things we think about in, uh, with our minds, but things we do with our bodies as well. And so this prayer goes through three motions. And it stems from the work of Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline. Uh, he, he introduces two of these ideas, palms down and palms up. And we've added a third. Uh, the, the third motion, or the first motion really, is clenched fists. And so in these three motions, clenched fists, palms down, palms up, uh, we, we do this during the prayer as we're sitting, and there will be some silence and some, uh, some invitation there. But in these three motions, in, in clenched fists, really make a, make a fist and, and, uh, and squeeze. And, and this is a, a time when you bring to mind that which you're holding, that which you're holding tightly. Maybe it's anxiety or fear or worry or stress, something heavy a burden you're carrying, uh, the grief we've been wrestling with, and you hold on to it. And then there's an invitation at a certain point after you name that and, and name it and bring it to God to let it go. And you might not let it go indefinitely, but you might let it go even just for a moment, even just for a small window of time, just to let somebody else carry it, let God carry it. And so in that shift from clenched fists to palms down, there's a letting go we sit in this motion for a bit because we feel the weight uh, as the blood sort of recirculates. We feel the weight drop in our hands. It gives us peace, an opportunity to say, yes, I've been carrying this. It's been heavy. But then the third motion is uh, to turn our palms upward. And it's with, it's with open hands and open palms that we, we hold our hands out to God and say, Hey, these are yours. Fill them with what you want. Fill them with good things. Fill them with new dreams, new opportunities, a new hope. So we're going to pray this prayer together and you can just sort of join along with it from home. God, we come to you as your people uh, with clenched fists squeeze our fists and bring to mind 
the things that are weighing us down, whatever, whatever they are, whether they're certain feelings or emotions, worries or thoughts, stressors, heavy burdens we've been carrying, perhaps carrying alone. And we bring them to mind right now and offer them to you in this time, in this space. We just name them in this quiet, in the silence. And we hear the words of Jesus spoken over us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation to offer you that which we're holding, even just for a short time. And so we release our grip on whatever it is. We let our hands drop and our palms drop down. Symbolic of our surrender and our letting go. And we give you thanks that you are the one who comes alongside of us and holds us in our grief and perhaps holds our grief for us right now. And then when you're ready, turn your palms upward. And this, God, we, we just hold our palms open to you, representative of, of our lives and surrender to you representative of our days, open to you, representative of our church with an open posture to what it is you want to do in, with, for, among us. So it's with open hands that we say, God, would you come and fill our lives and our communal expression and identity with a new new hope, new possibilities, new dreams. We consider it a gift that you are the one who does this, who guides us and leads us onward. We pray this in Jesus' name.